Hello and a very warm welcome to this edition of the Africa Legal Podcast. And I'm thrilled to be welcoming back Christo Ells, who is the senior partner of leading African law firm Weber Wenzel to the podcast. And it is an even greater pleasure to be welcoming the firm's managing partner, in addition to Christo, this being Sally Hutton, to our conversation today. And full biographies for both Christo and Sally are linked in the podcast description below. A bit of context for us here is that Africa Legal and Weber Wenzel have been collaborating since November 2020 on the AFCFTA Insight Series, this being the Africa Continental Free Trade Area, and we've seen phenomenal readership, engagement and appetite for more pan-African content. Looking forward, over the next 12 months, we are partnering once again to bring practical and unique insights on some of the most pressing issues impacting the communities we both serve. This podcast marks the first step on the next part of our journey and is paired with something relatively novel, at least to both our organisations, this being a animated infovid, which is how we've chosen to present the firm's ongoing journey and expansion with regard to cross-border African matters, clients and the African law firm partners that are joining the Weber Wenzel network. It makes for compelling viewing and I can't wait to take this opportunity to dive into some of the facts and figures we've unearthed whilst researching for this infovid. So let's dive right in. Now Sally and Christo, this is one for both of you, but Christo, if you would like to start. Now, you represent an African law firm that leads on major African matters. So what are some of the key trends that you are seeing and expecting to see in terms of cross-border African activity? Hi, Tom. Thank you for for having us on this uh, podcast. I think something that we are seeing is probably a worldwide trend that is not any different than uh, in Africa than it is in the rest of the world is in increased regulation. Uh, we are definitely seeing it in the highly regulated sectors like financial services, TMT, mining, and certain of the consumer sectors like healthcare. A very strong focus on you know new and uh, um, regulation across the continent. What we're also seeing is that uh, some of the African regulators are really copying each other. So there's a growing um, evidence, I suppose, when something is happening in a particular country, you'll see that starting to uh, be followed in other countries. And I think that as a firm, when we do multi-jurisdictional transactions on the continent, that's actually something that where we can add real value to clients. Because once you are uh, managing multiple jurisdictions simultaneously with your local council, you know, you can manage how that regulation uh, is uh, um, approved across uh, a wide network uh, of, of countries on the same, on, on the same basis. Sally, yeah. your perspective on this one? I think also, you know, hand in hand with that increased regulation is probably increased complexity. Um, transactions are becoming much more um, complex to, to manage and, um, and achieve effective implementation. Um, so that's, a, I think, a bit of a theme as well across Africa. You know, very few transactions are single jurisdiction these days. Many of them involve multiple jurisdictions with multiple competing factors. From a trend perspective, we all also are seeing um, continued interest um, and investment in some key sectors, um, renewable energy, agriculture, healthcare, education, some consumer sectors, um, some increased activity in the insurance sector. And then most notably, I think specifically following the pandemic, is um, a very key interest in technology and, and digital infrastructure. 
we're also seeing a bit of a trend towards platform investments. Um, so I think a good example of both of those, an investment in the digital infrastructure space and also platform investment was the, um, the Actus acquisition of 100% of Optitel, which is a Cape Town-based fiber-to-the-home operator for 2.3 billion rand, as well as a significant minority stake in RSA Web, which is an internet service provider. But that was in really the initial anchor investment um, for a platform that Actus is developing for um, digital infrastructure on the continent more generally. And we certainly are seeing um, you know, more of those platform-type investments. I think that digital infrastructure uh, comment is so, so important because you're seeing it being interwoven into places that you'd never have, have considered before. You know, agriculture and agribusiness is still absolutely huge for the continent. And we are seeing some incredibly innovative approaches when it comes to the integration of, of digital infrastructure on agribusiness, supply chain management, and so on. So the old and the new absolutely crashing together. Um, leading to fantastic innovation. But as you said, Sally and Christo, complexity on the up. Now, we've looked a bit forward with that last question. I'm going to I'm gonna take us back um, a long time, actually, 150 years ago to the founding of the firm. Now, proud origins in, in South Africa and, uh, you know, the, the, the epicenter of a lot of the firm's operations uh, still to date. But Christo, Tell us a little bit about this journey from a South African to a proudly African firm. What have been the key success factors and milestones in your eyes that have contributed to this story and, and evolution? Yeah, Tom, I think, uh, you know, as you said, 150 years uh, in South Africa, and probably the last 50 years uh, doing work with our clients across the continent outside of South Africa. Our Africa's strategy really has always been to, to follow our clients where they do business. And, you know, we invested in our clients, we're invested in their success. And, you know, if, if they need assistance, of course, on the continent, you know, we, we would uh, be there to assist them. And I think if you look historically at the firm, the, the initial outreach probably was in the natural resources space. So very strong mining client base uh, in South Africa that then starts developing uh, work and uh, mines on the rest of the continent. And that really was the start of it, I think. And that, that led us to to really build relationships on the continent with leading firms. Um, it's important in Australia to always be able to rely on the best firm and on-the-ground experience in, in each relevant country. And, you know, if we then pair that with the access we have to best international practice through our longstanding alliance with Linklaters, I think bringing that, that together... Um, is, is able to deliver really a fit-for-purpose integrated offering for our clients. And uh, we found that that really works best and that really has been the core of the evolution through the last uh, 50 years, I suppose, in the rest of the continent. Sally, any insights from you that you'd particularly be interested in raising on that, that evolution point? I think it's very much been a strategy of following our clients and, and making sure that our offering meets our clients' requirements. Um, and I think what really has been very gratifying is, is how close our relationships are now with um, our key partner firms in Africa. And, you know, that really comes from working together really closely um, on, on key matters with them. Um, and that really enhances the offering that we're able to give our clients. I think never true words said. A, a, a business can rarely do wrong if they are always acting in the best interest of, of, of clients. Something that really came up when we were 
you know, working together on exactly what we wanted to present via this info vid was not only to show what the firm had done when it comes to your your Pan-African expansion, but how it was being done and, and how it was being done in a way which aligns with one of the firm's stated purpose, which is to have a transformative and sustainable impact through our work and actions. And it's a couple of standout figures, for me at least, in relation to this approach, which I'd, I'd really like to get your further, your further input on. Um, this is firstly to do with the firm's commitment to pro bono and the rule of law across the continent. Now, this is typified by the 21,056 hours of pro bono, which was provided in FY21 by the firm and supported by the firm's unique, dedicated pro bono department. In addition, I think we were looking at north of 300 individual training sessions with 9,000 individual attendances taking part in this offering across the last 12 months. So Sally, it's impressive stuff, but starting with the pro bono side of things, how do you feel this translates beyond pure numbers and ensures a meaningful impact to the firm's culture and wider societal impact? In short, why is there such a strong commitment for a non-fee-generating activity? So, Tom, it really goes back to um, our stated purpose, as you said, which is to have a transformative and sustainable impact through our work and actions. And that is something that has, has informed everything that we do for a very long time. Um, we were the first big South African firm to establish a dedicated pro bono um, team. And the figures that you, you provided for the last financial year are kind of no different from the figures from many prior financial years. I think in the last year alone, we spent... Um, over 60 million rand on pro bono, which is very much in line with, um, with, what, with what we've done in prior years. So, I mean, as we all know, you know, South Africa and Africa both have complex challenges. Um, and we see our role as, as, a, as a large South African law firm and, and a firm very much rooted in Africa um, as one that can actually make a difference. And um, we seek to do that really through um, our deep expertise. So what we ask ourselves in relation to these challenges is how can we help and how can we best do so? And the best way we can do so, I mean, of course, we also, you know, make a significant investment in CSI initiatives and the like. But the very best way that we can make a difference is through leveraging our deep expertise. And that is what we've done. We've focused on rule of law. We've focused on anti-corruption. We've focused on inequality. And we've focused on access to justice. We've been involved in really seminal um, constitutional cases in South Africa that have really um, assisted the preservation of rule of law, um, assisted with the alleviation of poverty, assisted with the um, alleviation of, of inequality, um, inex inaccessibility to, to justice, accessibility to land, and all kinds of other key issues. So, you know, we have made a real impact. Um, I also believe that, you know, the way that we focused on constitutional law and administrative law as the foundations of a lot of our pro bono work in the rule of law space, um, we've got a, an approach that is exportable and um, we're looking forward to collaborating more with our colleagues in other African countries at law firms that we have good um, partnership relationships with um, on similar programs and in other jurisdictions. You also asked about, you know, what the impact of that is internally. 
I think it's it's so much part of our culture, and um, and it's so much part of the pride that people feel um, for working at River Wenzel. Um, it's part of the glue that holds us together. Um, that you know we make a difference. We're a firm that cares, and we're a firm that really cares about our um, the role that we can play. Um, and so it, it has actually has a very significant impact on on um, on our people. It also draws many people to the firm. Um, yeah. because of because of that sense of purpose. And one of the things that we've done in the last year as well, which has um, really made us a significant impact, is our, you know, we've got a very deep expertise in healthcare. And we've had a team of dedicated healthcare specialists um, supporting first with the National Ventilator Project, um, which was the building of 20,000 ventilators needed in the pandemic. And more recently, you know, intricately involved in supporting government pro bono um, on the rollout of the, um, the vaccination program. You know, that kind of thing really makes our people proud. I think it's wonderful to hear you talk about pride because I've been a pro bono. I've annoyed many, many people with my obsession with pro bono. And the reason the obsession runs so deep is I've just seen how transformative it can be. You know, if you're looking at team building and culture building, showing lawyers who our entire legal education is spent looking at relatively narrow commercial instances and saying by the way you are unique in your ability to solve some problems now put that individual amongst a team of like-minded individuals and the benefits are, are, are reigning and christo Turning to you for a moment, we, we mentioned the firm's commitment to, to training and being an African firm leading on Pan-African matters, I'm interested in what skills, in your view, are needed to deliver this uh, Pan-African approach alongside your partner and relationship firms? I mean, what are the main skills needed, in your opinion, to deliver on a multi-jurisdictional transaction in, in Africa currently? I think, Tom, we, we, we're really lucky that we work with really truly outstanding lawyers across the whole continent. So um, what's great about working together is that we have a huge amount to learn from each other and, and that the relationships we have with the firms really facilitate that joint learning. And as we work together, you know, learn together, we, we can deliver consistently high service and common high standards through sharing knowledge with each other, through sharing our experiences. Uh, you know, whether it's informal training or just working together uh, on matters. And, and the ultimate objective there is to just create consistency and a single firm experience for our clients. Um, it's also important that we create an environment, I think, where people across various levels really interact, get to know each other, continually uh, uh, find opportunities to learn from each other. Um, you ask what, what's really important for, for lawyers. I think that, you know, clearly, excellent technical skills uh, are a given, but you know, in, in the modern day and delivering large transactional work and, 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 and others on the, on the continent, I think it's not sufficient just to be technically excellent. You also need to understand the broader uh, impact that, that you have and the, 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 the other elements, I suppose, that come across in, uh, in transactional work for, for lawyers as, uh, on, on the continent. Um, you know, we, we've offered training broader than the technical services, for example, on pricing, law firm economics, team management, uh, and project management. You know, again, when you are working on multi-jurisdictional transactions, the law is the one part of it, but be able to be able to project manage 
uh, across various jurisdictions is really important. So I think that is a, a skill that uh, that we like to to teach our lawyers. Um, in, in in this modern day, it's also, of course, really important to have a good understanding of technology. Um, what's the best uh, technology available? Uh, and and we, we try and facilitate that as well. Um, it's really a, a growth mindset where we're encouraging our lawyers to be curious, to be innovative, and to really be creative so that if they are seeing opportunities from each other uh, on, on how we can improve our services or vice versa, then you know, they have the opportunity to raise those and, and, uh, and we learn from each other. We're also, of course, very fortunate to uh, benefit from the, the learnings of uh, our alliance partner, Linklaters, and uh, a lot of that training uh, is you know, uh, available to us uh, and we also make that available across, uh, across our network. I think it goes to the heart of what clients are needing from their law firms in, in this day and age. If you're trying to give incredibly relevant technical advice, context and delivery of that advice is of absolute primacy. You know, try giving wonderful legal advice uh, without a calendar to organize your time and written on a thousand post-it notes. And you will find yourself without customers very, very quickly. So all that training that you mentioned, down to law firm economics and pricing, you know, again, you could be the most technically brilliant lawyer in the world. But if you're not aware of modern day economics and pricing options, again, it's farewell customers. So it's great to hear you talk about those non-technical issues, even before we, we, we worry about the, the, the black and white letter law, which you say, you know, should be should be a given. Um, you mentioned a phrase earlier, which is the, the, the single firm experience. I know that Weber Wentzel are quite unique when it comes to the, the pan-African network that you guys have, have developed. And I'm interested, it's the firm's Africa Country Partners and Africa Country Associates Initiative, which is central to the single firm experience, which you provide clients for that pan-African service, regardless of, of whether this is working directly and solely with Weber Wenzel or leveraging your Africa partners and key relationship firms. Can you share a little bit more information on like how this came to be and how it actually works in practice? Yeah, so yeah, as I said before, relationships are key. Uh, it's really important to to be able to uh, deliver a service to the client where you know we actually know each other, even though we may be in different firms. So uh, we also believe, and and I think the early learning for us was that those relationships cannot be held only at management level. It's really important to be shared uh, across the firm. So. We came up with this uh, concept where you know we have 13 dedicated country partners. They are appointed by an Africa Coordination Committee, and they are largely responsible for managing relationships on a per-country basis. They form a kind of a point of contact between our firm and, and our relationship firms. And um, you know th there are various ways in which they they make sure they do it, stay abreast of developments in that country. You know we make sure that we connect with each other at least monthly. Um, you know, in, in the pre-COVID days, and hopefully that will return soon, we make sure that we actually visit each other, that those country partners have an opportunity to spend time in country to get to know uh, our relationship firms as well. Um, and then coupled with that is the uh, country associates. So that just, again, bringing another level of, of younger lawyers in to make sure that um, the relationships are formed not only at partner level, but, uh, but across the firm. And that, that just gives us a lot of touch points with each other uh, at various levels uh, across the continent. 
And I know for sure that voices of both the country partners and uh, even more excitingly for me, the country associates are certainly going to be tied in with our, our collaboration over the next 12 months. So certainly something for our readers to, to, to look forward to. Uh, Sally, taking things on a slightly different uh, turn here, you're a rare example of a female leader for a large African law firm. And the firm's commitment to diversity clearly extends beyond this management apex, given the firm's, uh, I think it's 60% female staff across all levels, and a more novel decision such as your signing of the United Nations Women Empowerment Principles. And I think you were the first South African law firm to actually do that. So I'm interested to understand this, this, this progress. Was there a conscious decision to pursue greater diversity in the past, which set the firm on this you know, path to the top when it comes to, to uh, uh, diversity standards uh, and you know, local BEE standards? Uh, or has this naturally developed through fierce meritocracy, for example? So, Tom, yes, it has been extremely deliberate. Uh, perhaps over the years before... Um, Krista and I took office, we started our terms on the 1st of March 2015. I think it had perhaps been a more evolutionary process. We were very conscious, though, of the fact that we needed to be extremely action-oriented in driving these strategies. And I think that is perhaps um, what's been a bit of a step change for us. Um, so in 2015, we formulated the firm's first um, gender strategy, um, which is overseen by a gender strategy working group, which is a subcommittee of the board, um, and it's chaired by me. Um, and also in parallel, we formulated a transformation action plan, um, which, as its name indicates, is very much um, focused on specific actions and, and initiatives. Um, I think both of those though, really do feed back to our stated purpose, and I can talk to you a little bit about some of the things we've done, but it really does link back to our stated purpose, which is to have a transformative and sustainable impact through our work and actions. And part of that is, you know, on transform transforming the firm to be a successful and sustainable firm into the future. And hand in hand with that, really, I think, is that diversity directly correlates to the success of an organization. So diverse leadership teams make more robust um, and um, creative business decisions. And the numbers that. are out there. It is a undeniable truth now. Absolutely. There's a direct correlation. It also enhances the kind of service that we give our clients. Diverse teams come up with much better client solutions and um, a better client service. So, you know, it makes complete business sense. Um, but it also very much links into, into our purpose, which is to have a broader impact. Um, so both of those strategies you know, entail a number of initiatives um, which we pursue. Christo chairs the Transformation Committee. I chair the Gender Study Working Group. We're both members of each, so we, it really does get attention at the, at the most senior level. Um, we map our progress regularly. We measure our progress regularly. We drive, um, you know, we drive those initiatives closely. Um, and I think, you know, what's, what's good about that is you actually start to see what is... Um, yielding results and kind of what is not, and we refine and um, refine and amend our, our initiatives and, and, um, and actions accordingly. But you know, over the last six years, um, 
we have grown our, um, our women equity partners, I mean, that's the, the most senior run um, of partnership, um, to 41% of the, of the total um, equity partner body, and that's an increase of 32% um, over the last six years. Um, and also our black equity partners numbers have grown by 70% um, over that same period. And, you know, although the firm's total equity partner body has grown by 12% over that period, our black equity partner number has grown by 94%. So we've seen some really significant traction in, um, in not just attracting talent, diverse talent, but also retaining that talent and, and um, into the most senior levels. So that's incredibly rewarding, but I do think has also translated into the firm's greater success over that period. There's a direct correlation also with our growth, um, our growth in profitability, our growth in revenue. Um, I mean, the firm's operating profit has grown by 70% over that same period. Um, so I, I don't think the two are, are unconnected. There really is nothing to lose by being as robust as the firm has been in its commitment to transformation and, and, and diversity in, in, in many forms. When it comes to talent attraction, I think younger lawyers and younger Africans in particular are being very, very demanding of needing to see themselves reflected in both the staffing and the aspirations and culture of the organization that would look to to actually employ them. And I think the same can be said for clients. You know, we're seeing a much more public kind of um, a showcase of, of diversity demands from the in-house legal profession in, in Europe, in the US in particular at the moment. I think just because it hasn't been given a catchy title, it's no less common in African markets. I think clients are going to, whether it's publicly stated or not, respect and actually get drawn towards firms who are able to showcase a greater degree of commitment to, to diversity and, and gender empowerment. So I think it's to be applauded. Christo, back to you for a moment here. Uh, we've already discussed that the firm isn't shy when it comes to sharing knowledge and training. But as I understand it, a more recent but dramatically impactful progress has been with the firm's utilization and leveraging of technology when working with your Africa partner firms and clients in delivering your tax and legal services. So again, what does this look like in practice? Uh, have you seen the firm's tech deliver the kind of efficiencies and reliability it is designed for um a, a, a learning process what what does it look like to you tom i think all firms around the world and certainly uh, that's true as well of, of us you know are really learning how to use technology for clients benefit better uh, and uh, and doing so across multiple jurisdictions i think makes it even more interesting uh, as well you know we've had real uh, live examples of um supporting multiple jurisdictional transactions through our legal services center and then the use of certain technologies uh, you know for example online platforms where you know we can collaborate at the same time making sure that there are real-time client engagement and visibility into the pro the progress uh, of the matter uh, again across multiple jurisdictions um, something that we are are working on as well is is making sure that we are able to deliver that legal services center capability to firms across the continent, even outside of matters where, um, you know, where Wenzel may be involved in. For example, 
you know, a lot of firms across the continent are are really stretched in terms of uh, of their numbers. They they often quite small for their jurisdiction, uh, and and um, you know the ability to then access our legal services center, we believe, will add greater capacity uh, to their own numbers, and and that I think is something that we are hoping would grow. Uh, as we grow our relationships across the continent. And look, I I aspire to be the best podcast host that I can be. And I did a little bit of digging on on both of your backgrounds. And I think I'm correct in saying that you have both dedicated 25 years to the firm, uh, both starting as candidate attorneys or trainees. I'm interested, were you guys in the same uh, year of uptake or was was one slightly before the other? I was. I'm one year ahead of Christo. There you go. I've actually do been you, for twenty six years. So you must have remembered a young, fresh faced Christo coming through those doors <laughs> and feeling far superior for a moment. I'm He's putting still, words in your mouth. Fresh face. He's still very fresh faced. He is. It's annoying, isn't it? <laughs> but look, you've now both reached the top rungs of the firm's leadership. And, uh, you know, I think it's fair to say that despite having continuously delivered on Pan-African matters, you know, we mentioned 50 years for the firm doing so, the most dramatic changes have, have taken place in the last eight years or so. So I'd love to hear from you both. Can you recall a specific moment or matter when the penny dropped that the firm you've called home for 25 years really had developed into a true African powerhouse, far beyond the South African roots that were laid by the founding partners of the firm 150 years ago? Christo, some some sentimentality, if you will. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Tom. I think you know there are so many moments that that stand out, but just you know maybe making it a little bit personal. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, we were briefed uh, initially to be South African Council in relation to the uh, takeover of SAB Miller by AB InBev, and we were acting for AB InBev. Uh, and the South African component, of course, was a very important component, with you know being the the uh, the country where SAB Miller initially started, and you know. Throughout the work we started doing in South Africa, we eventually, uh, and and, uh, an international firm, of course, were working with us in relation to many other jurisdictions around the world. Um, And within the first couple of weeks, it became clear to the client that, in fact, Rebuensel is probably best suited to manage the entire African um, operation in uh, in this matter. And, um, you know, the, the, the international firm, of course, was... Quite busy with the rest of the world, so so they they uh, they left Africa to us, and, and it was at that moment I think that it was clear to me that you know a firm like ours, and and in particular uh, with the relationships we have on the continent, is really well placed to deliver some of the most complex international merger work to clients, where we could manage multiple jurisdictions, multiple uh, regulatory filings, and other issues that that arose across the continent uh, and deliver that service to the client at the same level uh, as as others would in, in the rest of the world. And that was a really proud moment for, for me personally. And I think that um, really showcased what the firm is really capable of doing. I'm really, really pleased to hear that story. And Sally, some, some, some thoughts from you before we close off our podcast today. Look, I think um, one of the, the highlights um, from that perspective was the naming of the firm as African Law Firm of the Year um, for 2019. 
In fact, in the same year, we were also awarded alongside um, Linkators with the African Network Alliance of the Year. Um, and I think also perhaps a, another pivotal moment um, that recognized our um, our status and our, our strength and sophistication and, um, and ability um, you know, to deliver in Africa was really the, the selection of, of our firm by Linkators um, to help them deliver on their own Africa strategy. Um, you know, that was really one of the key rationales for our alliance with Linkators was that Rebel Wenzel would be um, able to support them in their aspirations in Africa. Um, and, you know, for the firm to have been selected by a global firm of, of that stature, I think really was also um, a moment that um, reiterated the, the quality and, and the ability of the firm. Um, and then I suppose, you know, just in relation to just the sheer the sheer size of the firm, you know, the way it's grown over the years, the, the size, the sophistication, um, you know, it really is, it's a very substantial, um, modern, sophisticated African law firm that can, can hold its head high um, and and compete on an equal footing with with what many other international firms can do. Um, it it really has been a very I think gratifying journey um, to this point. Well, I must say it's been a real privilege to spend some time with you this afternoon and uh, and talk through many of these these topics that we were given the excuse to start uh, digging into via our info vid, which is, is, uh, is, is available to, uh, to watch. And that will be linked in the podcast description as well. It'll be a regular repository of biographies, of further reading and of info vids. Uh, so thank you to both Christo and Sally for joining me today. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having us, Tom. An absolute pleasure. And as always, a very big thank you to all of our listeners. Now, if you are new to the Africa Legal podcast, don't forget you can peruse the entire back catalogue, which is available on all good podcast service providers, including Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and now Google Podcasts. And visit us at africalegal.com for all the news, views, and insights that improve your life as a modern African legal practitioner. So without further ado, this has been Tom Pearson, Christo Ells and Sally Hutton for the Africa Legal Podcast. 